And welcome to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is where we talk about the issues of today through a biblical perspective. I'm Saw Needham, along with Dan Delzell. Dan is a pastor at Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska. He is also an author of many articles that can be found on the Christian Post. And, and Dan, we just recently celebrated Pentecost. Uh, for people that might not know, Pentecost actually is 50, which means 50 days from Easter. And it was really the birth time, I guess you could say, of the church, of the modern church. It yeah. was the time when in Acts when the apostles, I guess, had the Holy Spirit come upon them. And then obviously that time that we read about in Acts 2 where they started to speak and people of all languages were able to understand, thus the speaking in tongues that we have today that people refer to. And so uh, Pentecost seems to be something that, I don't want to say it's an afterthought, but it's, you know, you go through the, the Christian calendar and you've got, you know, you've got Christmas and then you've got Lent and then you've got Easter and then Pentecost just kind of seems to, to come and go without really too much fanfare in a lot of places. But it really, like I said, it's kind of like the birth of the modern church. And so just as we get started, maybe if you can give us a little bit of insight into, into Pentecost from your perspective, the significance of it and, and what it means for us today. Well, of course, Son, you know, Pentecost was so critical for the birth of the Christian church, the launching of the church, the mission, the evangelization, the spreading of the gospel, because this, of course, is when um, the fulfillment of Jesus's promise that he was going to send, um, you know, the, the, the comforter that the father would 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 send and, and Jesus would leave and and um, the Holy Spirit would come in order to to spread the gospel message that Jesus had had brought to uh, his followers and to the world. So um, it, it's it's just uh, such a such an important uh, period um, there just at the beginning of the Christian church because um, it, it empowered people like Peter, who, as we know, saw him, um, he had you know, not that long before that had, had denied the Lord three times. He had, um, operating in his own strength. He, he had, he had the will to do the right thing, but he didn't have the, really the power to carry it out that he needed. Um, and, and, and this was a guy who then would later on go on to, uh, you know, to die a martyr's death as he spread the gospel, as he, um, as he went in, uh, you know, just with the, the power that God was giving him. So, um, it, it's a, it's a critical, uh, a critical, point in in Christian in the Christian church when um, the the Lord provided what was going to be needed you know uh, Jesus said but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses and so this son was really um, really the, the the main reason that the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost was so that the disciples would become bold witnesses and and take the message of the gospel to to the world and and that was that was the key point I mean you know uh, people a lot of times they they think about um, things like speaking in tongues and and of course that was part of the day of Pentecost um, but but the the real purpose of it was was the empowerment of God's people uh, to carry the gospel to the lost and and that remains the 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 need today we we as christians today need the power of the holy spirit every bit as much as they did then and and we can be very thankful to the lord that um that that god gives us that power uh, to be his witnesses now one of the things that's described in acts 2 is the 
don't know if you want to call it supernatural, the dramatic, the flair by which it's described the events of that day. You know, you talk about a sound like a blowing of a violent wind that came. Um, and then you have, you know, like you said, the, the speaking in tongues, or at least, you know, Peter talking and everybody, no matter what their language was, was able to hear him. So you got this kind of like supernatural, this, you know, in the world of Hollywood, a flamboyant, this whole thing going on. And it's pretty exciting. It's, it's pretty, you know, hey, it's, you know, we're getting motivated. We're getting inspired. This is some good stuff. This is exciting, exhilarating. But then oftentimes, you know, people look to today. And you talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they don't see this type of dramatic event take place in their lives. I mean, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, does it have to be something that's dramatic that's described in Acts 2? Or is it something that we get when we accept Christ as our Savior? You know, I mean, because a lot of people, you know, even to today, you look at all the revivals that go on, you know, people are looking for something dramatic, you know, something emotional, something to motivate them, something to get their skin, you know, tingling because they feel that you know maybe their spiritual life is boring i don't know but do we need to have these dramatic things to really be have the presence of the holy spirit within us or is it something that comes upon us when we commune with christ well i tell you son every person who becomes a believer in jesus becomes so through the power of the holy spirit uh, even as the bible says no one can say jesus is lord except by the Holy Spirit. And, and so you become indwelt by the Spirit. Your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit at the moment of your conversion. Uh, you know, Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit who works the miracle of the new birth, and then he comes to live within every believer. Um, now, um, that is the, the beginning of the Christian life, and we are uh, dependent upon the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life, uh, this is why the Bible says in Ephesians 5:18, be filled with the Spirit, and literally it's saying keep on being filled. So it's not just a one-time uh, filling, but it's intended to be something that, uh, that that God wants to happen every day, and we need that the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, in our lives every day. And, and as far as your question about you know feelings. Um, uh, you know, there are many situations where believers do experience, um, you know, many, many feelings that are connected to um, being filled with the Spirit. And, and I mean, you know, if we think about the fruit of the Spirit um, that gets listed in Galatians 5, and it lists the, the love, the joy, the peace. Uh, I mean, you know, those, those are things many times that, that are, are, you know, based uh, or at least connected to feelings. I mean, you know, feeling uh, peace feels like a, a feeling, a joy. Um, we, we kind of associate that with, with feelings, but, but really it's deeper than just um, emotions. It's deeper than just feelings. And, and in fact, son, you know, there have been a lot of people who've been, you know, worked into a frenzy and maybe a religious meeting, and 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 some people have assumed, well, that's got to be the Holy Spirit because look at how wild and crazy those people are getting. Well, no, it doesn't have to be the Holy Spirit for many reasons, um, you know, uh, and we could talk about some of those today. But just because there's a lot of emotion does not guarantee the Holy Spirit's uh, presence or that He's working there. Uh, you know, there's a saying, "Emotion is not devotion," and um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is there to lift up Christ. Um, and, and, you know, people have different temperaments. I mean, some people tend to be a little more emotional than others. Some tend to be, you know, more, more stoic and, and so forth. Um, you know, Christians uh, of that type, um, you know, they don't, they don't maybe ever get too emotional outwardly. That doesn't mean they're not experiencing or feeling things, you know, many things on the inside. So it really varies, but, well, but we have to be careful that we don't 
um, you know, that we don't seek the, you know, the, the feelings, we don't seek the experience, but rather we seek the person. We, we seek the Lord himself. Uh, we, we seek to please the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, 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 and in so doing, um, we'll, we'll find that the fruit of the Spirit then, son, will, will really, um, uh, you know, grow more in our life and, and develop more in our life. And, and, uh, and, and so, um, yeah, it's not, it's not always though going to be a certain type of feeling, but, but those, those feelings will, uh, they will develop, um, just depending on the situation and who the person is. You know, one of the significant events of that day for Pentecost was you had, well, first off, you had what it was about 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. And Jesus said, you know, he was going to send a helpmate. And this was the helpmate that he was talking about. So this comes about 10 days after Jesus' ascension into heaven. And then you have the, the they were probably, you know, in a, in a marketplace or some sort of location, I would imagine, where it was maybe... Um, it would, it would bring people from all over. So maybe a, a central location for travel or a central location to conduct business because there's people from all over that spoke different languages. Um, so maybe an agricultural center or, you know, a city center, something like that. And I find it interesting, first off, that you go back to, you know, the Tower of Babel when God, you know, people were trying to build a tower to get to God. And so God scrambled their languages and then you know, people scattered. And now here you come to Pentecost and you have all these different people with the different languages now listening and hearing what's being said in their native tongue. And it's almost like God's bringing the people back together to try to join them to now you can come and you don't need your tower from back there, but now you can come together in the church and you can come to God that way. And so I just, for me, I thought that was kind of a, a unique perspective on it the way that god used the tower of babel language to separate and now he's bringing a language for everybody to hear to draw them back to him in that uh on that day of pentecost but but you have people um from all over and so they're listening they're hearing so i guess the question would be from your perspective is this something that's Mm -hmm. a supernatural language is the miracle in the speaking or is the miracle in the hearing as the joke would run, you know, what's the argument, you know, so what, what is exactly that's, I guess, going on here with, from your perspective? Well, I mean, people, people were hearing, um, we're, we're hearing these individuals speak, you know, in, in their own language. So that, that in itself, of course, was, was a miracle of God that he was giving, he was providing these languages. He was providing this, uh, this, this miraculous manifestation of his power, um, and, 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 and so again, they, they were hearing, they were hearing their own language, but it was just a demonstration of, of God's ability to, um, to do whatever he wants to do. It's kind of interesting, Sam, because speaking in tongues, um, I mean, and there've been a lot of, uh, I think abuses of it. There've been a lot of, uh, you know, just caricatures of it. Um, there've been a lot of people who have probably, um, you know, maybe, um, been involved in, in a way that, that, you know, has maybe not been the way the Lord wants it done, you know, in the church or in a way that make, makes it more of a, uh, of a scene almost, you know? So, I mean, th- th- there's a lot to think about with that gift. I mean, there are even some Christians, uh, I mean, I'm not one of them, but there are some Christians who don't even believe that God continues to give that gift today. Um, I, I do believe the Holy Spirit continues to give uh, that gift today, but I also know 
and, and believe that there have been abuses with that gift. Uh, I mean, the Apostle Paul himself said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So, you know, anybody who's going to um, really uh, speak against, uh, you know, speaking in tongues, um, you know, you, you better be careful uh, speaking against, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because, um, you know, he gives out gifts as he determines, uh, you know, th- there are, there are Christians, of course, son, like, like, you know, many Pentecostals, you know, uh, if not most or all Pentecostals might say, well, you know, the demonstration that you are a spirit filled believer is that you speak in tongues. But then again, there are millions of Christians who don't subscribe to that, maybe that narrow definition of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I mean, you take people like Billy Graham and, and, and millions of other believers like him who have sought to live a Spirit-filled life um, without emphasizing the gift of tongues. I mean, I, you know, Billy Graham never, never denied that that gift is, is, is a gift of the Spirit, but, but he did not associate that or say that that's a requirement in order to be a Spirit-filled Christian. And I believe he was correct on that. Um, so you, you, but you've got, you've got that difference uh, uh, among, among Christians uh, just on the gift of tongues. Um, but, but as far as the Lord, you know, using that and, and, and having people hear, um, hear them speak in their own language. I mean, that, that miracle uh, you, you would have hoped would have drawn uh, th- those people to the Lord when, when, when they saw what was going on. And, you know, the, the, the gift of speaking in tongues is it, it's so hard for us to wrap our mind around. Um, it, it is, you know, as all of God's gifts are, it's a supernatural gift of the Holy spirit. And, and so um, we're not going to understand it with, with, with just human reason. We, we've got to go to scripture to seek, to discern it and 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 what you you know bring on on the podcast is sanctified reason we need we need that illumination of the holy spirit if we're going to um you know really come to terms with, with what that gift and all the gifts of the spirit are about you know it makes me kind of wonder why people have this i guess um I don't know if it's confusing, but they but they try to make speaking in tongues something that is complex, I guess you can say. It's like a complex part mm-hmm. of Christianity. And I've been in churches where you've had people speak in tongues. I've had churches where someone spoke in tongues and then someone interpreted it. And I was mm-hmm. you know, told at that age that that's the correct way of doing it. And as yeah. I've developed over the years, I started thinking to myself, well, here... There was no interpretation. There was no second person coming in and interpreting. It was the people heard. So then I started thinking, well, if someone was going to speak in tongues, you know, would we know it? Because wouldn't we just be able to understand? And what I mean by that is, you know, it didn't matter what language they spoke in Acts 2. They were able to hear in their own language what Peter was saying. And then two, um, you know, I sit there and I'll sometimes watch religious television or, you know, hear people and they, they'll throw in like shamalamalama, you know, while they're talking. And then it's almost yeah, like they're yeah, trying to yeah, speak yeah. in a tongue to make them sound like they're right. more righteous or holy, you know, and then people right. are like, oh, that's right. right. Yeah, that's, that's a falsity. I mean, to me, that's not even what it is. But, but you get different people with these different yeah. things. But to me, when you bring it back to the Bible, and like anything when it comes yeah. to the church, you bring it back to the Bible, it seems like it's really something simplistic. If God wants to speak to you in a tongue, you're going to understand, yeah. whatever that might be. Yeah. And, and if he doesn't want you, and if he doesn't want to speak in the tongue, then you're not going to hear it. So I don't know. So to me, I just can't bring it back to the Bible. If there's going to be a tongue that's out there that's being used, a spiritual right. tongue, we're going to be able yeah. to understand it if God wants us to understand it and hear it because the people there and then 3000 people became saved and the church grew 
And so I know that's just how I look at it too. If God's going to use something, well, we're going to understand it. Well, and, and you know, when, when, when Paul addresses the, some of the problems going on in the church in Corinth, son, um, you know, he, he laid out, um, you know, the things they were to be doing uh, as, as it related to the spiritual gifts. And, 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 and so, you know, the, the, the believers there were not, they were not supposed to speak in a tongue during a, a worship gathering unless there was someone there to interpret it. Now, um, you know, that kind of goes to your point that, um, you know, th- th- there needs to be a, a point, uh, something intelligible. And, and this is the point that Paul uh, really is making um, in, in Corinthians. He, he's really driving home the point that that in the church, you know, we, we need things that are going to that are going to build people up. We, we, we need to focus on, um, you know, on prophecy, for example. Um, you know, for example, Paul writes uh, in First Corinthians 14, verse four, uh, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Um, Now, you know, that later on, actually, in verse 19, he says, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So I think that kind of goes to your point, Son, that... um, you know, and like that example you gave, or maybe you, you turn on some religious programming and you hear, and you hear somebody, you know, uh, making sounds that at least, you know, for them, that they, I, I guess they're, they would, they would believe that's speaking in tongues. Um, but, but what Paul's saying is he would rather have, you know, he would rather have prophecy. He would rather have, um, you know, words, words spoken that are understood, that, that build people up, that teach people. And, and this is, this kind of goes back to the whole point of of Pentecost on is kind of interesting. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't um, something that God did just to give some to give the folks a miraculous experience. It, it was something that God did to provide power for his people to 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 speak intelligible words about the gospel and and, and about scripture. So um, while while the gift of tongues is is a very mysterious gift, it's often I think misunderstood, and there are many things I'm sure we all don't quite understand with uh, you know kind of God's plan today for that gift, and in churches and in in, in Christians, um, uh, we 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 know that the Lord needs people to understand truth in order to be built up in their faith, and 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 so you know. We we could listen to somebody speak in tongues all day long, but unless that's coming from God, unless there's an interpreter, we won't understand it. And 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 so, and and boy, is that is is there ever a need for that today, son? In our world, where I mean, there are so many false messages. Where um, you know, there are so many people who have been duped by the spirit of the age, uh, whether it be the, the lie, the myth that, you know, there is no absolute truth, whether it be the myth that, well, not only is Jesus not the only way to heaven, he's not even one of the ways to heaven. Well, we know he's the only way to heaven, but you're not going to, you're not going to come to understand and believe that unless you, you accept the truth of what God says in his word, unless you, um, stop resisting the Holy spirit, um, and really, uh, begin to accept what God has given us in his word. You know, all scripture um, is God breathed, the, the, the Bible says. So, so the Bible came from God. It's God's love letter to his children. 
And in order for us to grow in our faith and in our Christian lives, um, we need the word. We, we need to hear it. We need to believe it. We need to act on it. We need to obey it. Um, and, and this is all part of our, our growth as Christians. And the Holy Spirit is, is right in the middle of all of that, uh, working to help us grow to become more like Christ as we also seek not to grieve the Holy Spirit, um, as it says in Ephesians, we're not to do, uh, but rather we're to rely upon him for, uh, for power, for guidance, for insight, and, and, and for our Christian training. You know, when, when Jesus came, he was born of a virgin, carpenter's son. People were expecting the king of the Jews at the time to come in this triumphant, you know, dominated, conquering, um, you know, approach to, to, you know, coming to earth, you know. But he came in the, as a humble person. You know, it wasn't his time to come as the conquering king. He was there as basically, I guess, according to status of the time, a nobody. Died on the cross, saved us from our sins, resurrected, sits at the right hand of God. Eventually, he's going to come back as a conquering king. But do you think that, is there some significance as I look at this, that because of such the dramatic events of that day, is this a little bit of kind of a hint as to that triumphant king coming back when Christ comes, when Jesus comes a second time, this gives us a kind of little hint of what things are going to be like because it is pretty dramatic. It's, it's, it's like an establishment of the church that is going to take place, and this is what it's going to be like to follow Jesus. It's an exciting time. It's, a, it's going to be you know, an exhilarating time. There's going to be so much going on that we're just going to be filled with all this stuff that we can't even comprehend with our human minds. Does this give us a little taste of what maybe people thought Jesus coming the first time they thought it should be like and gives us a little taste of why, what might to come from the dramatic sense of that, if that makes sense? Well, yes, that makes sense, Son. And, and yes, I, I think that um, as we see throughout the history of, of God's people, the Old Testament, um, and then in the New Testament, we, 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 we see dramatic events at times, whether it, it be, um, you know, the, the, the parting of the Red Sea, whether it be uh, the great flood uh, in Noah's day, um, you know, wh- whether it be, um, you know, even the creation of the world, uh, you know, uh, and then all sorts of um, just incredible uh, events and, and, and just victories that the God's people won in the old Testament. I mean, all of these point, I believe son to what you're, what you're pointing to. And that is God's ultimate victory. You know, that's, that's one of the great things about the Bible is we see who wins uh, in the end. We see who's always been victor. I mean, there's never been a point when, when God has not been victorious. Now there've been times when his people, have not walked in that victory and have been defeated by, um, you know, by, by earthly uh, opponents of God or, or even spiritual entities that have oppressed them. Uh, but, um, you know, we think of, we think of, you know, Satan in the garden of Eden. I mean, he, he was uh, very involved in uh, the fall there and, and Adam and Eve's sin. But I, I do think that, that Pentecost is a, uh, the day of Pentecost when that happened 2000 year, years ago was certainly a foretaste of, of what's coming, you know, the Bible says that God's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So I think you're onto something there, Son. That it is, um, there's always this, um, 
there's always this looking forward uh, in the midst of, of what God is doing now. You know, God is outside of time. Uh, and, and when we get to heaven, um, we won't be operating in, in a time dimension. I mean, it'll be very different for us. Uh, you know, time will be no more. Um, we'll be in eternity. Uh, we'll never age. Um, I mean, the, the victory that Jesus won for us on the cross will be, um, will be fully realized there in heaven. And, and so the day of Pentecost is one of those, I don't want to say teasers because it was way more than that, but it was, it was one of those key moments when the Lord said, okay, um, I'm going to move, I'm going to show you some of my power. I'm going to show you some of my power. And of course the purpose there, as I said before, was to, was to spread the gospel. Um, but, but, um, but I do think it, it is, it is definitely, it's a sign of the coming uh, kingdom. It's a sign of God's eternal kingdom. It's a demonstration of his power. And I'll tell you, son, if there was anything, if there's ever a time in America where we need a demonstration of God's power, um, you know, it is today. Um, we need the Lord to to breathe upon us and upon our nation and to um, just to shake some things up um, and, and, to, and to get into the hearts of people, uh, especially those who um, just don't seem to have any time for the Lord or, or his word. So um, the day of Pentecost was, was the beginning of that, um, that era that, that was entered in when the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And, and, you know, I think all Christians on throughout the history of the Christian church have kind of had the feeling like we're living in the end days. Um, you know, and there, there are signs of the times, you know, pretty much in, in every age. And, and, and you can really make an argument that, you know, the Christians 2000 years ago, were living in the last times, just as we're living in the last times. When, when we think last times, you know, we, we, we put a kind of a number to it. Like, well, you know, the Lord's going to definitely come back like in the next, you know, 20 years or 50 years or a hundred years. That, that's what we think of as end times. Well, um, with the Lord, a, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. So, and nobody knows that hour, you know, um, not the angels in heaven, not even the son, but only the father. So we don't know um, how long it's going to be, but the day of Pentecost was one of those things that points to the fact that that day is coming. And Christ, just as he came once, uh, just as he died and rose again and then ascended into heaven, um, and, and then uh, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came. Uh, you know, as Jesus said, I'm going to, you know, send you what, what my father has promised and the Holy Spirit came and, um, you know, the world has, has been different, uh, since then, but at the same time, a lot of the, a lot of the same things are going on in terms of the, the sins that, 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 that man commits and the, um, the approach that man, man takes and, and the darkness that man walks in. Um, there, there are different players over the generations and, and, and different specifics, but the two main realities are you've got the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And um, because of the Holy Spirit being in the world, the kingdom of light continues to advance. Many times it's in those places, Son, that, um, uh, you know, are not uh, maybe at all the, the wealthiest or um, even, you know, the most educated areas. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes and many times, in fact, um, education gets in the way of, of people coming to the Lord because they get, they get so educated in ideas that have um, have really been instilled in them 
that point them to like what you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, maybe before we started the podcast, we were talking about some of these things and, and um, you know, maybe people put their faith in science or they put their faith um, in, in their own abilities or they put their faith in our advancements in, in, in health and medicine and things. But, but at the end of the day, um, there, are the, there are still the two, um, there are the two kingdoms at work, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. It's been going on that way for thousands of years. And um Boy, God just broke right into this world on the day of Pentecost, and what a difference the Holy Spirit made then and continues to make today. Yeah, sometimes, you know, I think of of the Christian life kind of like a baseball game because you sit there and different people will be interested according to what's going on. So you're watching a game and, you know, you're having your popcorn and, you know, the pitchers are dueling and, you know, there's not much action, so to speak, going on. And then someone comes up, cracks a home run, and everyone gets all excited because there's some major event that happened. And then we settle back down. And what some of us are more in tune to is the, the strategy of the game. And so we see some of these that are might be considered more duller points of the game is really exciting, you know, pitches that are being thrown and, you know, the strategies that's going on. But then you've got that home run and everyone jumps up and down, gets excited again. And sometimes I think when we go through the Bible, we look at it that way. You know, we look at a certain events and it's like, you know, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection might be the home run. So we get excited about that. But then we miss out on some of the subtleties that that's going on. Maybe the inner strategies of, of some of the things that are uh, written in the Bible. But it's like, I mean, I think back to, and this is an example, I think back to, you know, the writing on the wall, right, in Daniel. I mean, could you imagine what it's like to be sitting there and then all of a sudden this hand starts writing on the wall, mm, you know? Mm. I mean, I mean, and then the fear that must have struck these people. Or like you mentioned, the parting of the seas. I mean, do you know how dramatic that must have been to see the Red mm. Sea? And I don't really know because I've never been to Egypt, so I don't know really how big the Red Sea is. But I would imagine this has got to be, you know, an apocalyptic event of this thing, you know, water going and disappearing. And then all of a sudden now you're walking across. Um, and so there's a lot of, I think, dramatic uh, the dramaticism of it, I think we miss out sometimes because, you know, we just kind of sit back and, and read some things and just, okay, that's what it was. But if we really put ourselves there, I think we really do see, because, I mean, the language here in Acts 2, you know, you're talking about what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And so I think when we start to really look at the the Bible more as, instead of chapter and verse, more as like the letters, so to speak, you know, that are being written, you know, the emotion behind it, what people have gone through. I think it really provides insight into what God is really all about, what Jesus is really all about. You know, he might have been the the meek guy that, you know, heals the blind and then says, okay, don't, don't tell anybody, you know. He might be the, mm-hmm. the, the one that withdrew you know, from the crowds because he wanted to get away or he spent the quiet night in Gethsemane or, you know, he didn't bring the attention upon himself. But yet when you talk about some of the, the things that we read, I mean, it really gives us insight just to the, the dramatic power and what it's going to be like, the excitement, the, the emotion and everything that goes on with what it's going to be like with God for all eternity. Because I think the Bible just in the simplest things. I mean, Jonah in the, in the well, you know, I mean, I mean, that's pretty dramatic stuff. You know, I mean, I think of Pinocchio and I'm thinking here's Pinocchio sitting in the well, but you know, Jonah actually did this and you start to think of all these things that go on and, and there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of drama, I guess you can say going on with, with events in the Bible that should really get us excited and not just wait for those home run events to come, but to be excited about it all because it's, 
it's it's there's a lot of stuff in there that can really we can really be excited about when we read it. Yeah, you know, it makes me think too, son, of what what many um, wise Christians over the centuries have said, and that is that you know God will give us at times those mountaintop experiences. Um, and, and, and those are intended to bring great encouragement and to give a foretaste of that power you're speaking of that we're going to know through all, uh, you know, for all of eternity. I mean, God could have chosen to just say, okay, I'm going to give you no real examples of my power, but you're going to experience it throughout eternity. And you're just gonna have to trust me on that. Well, he, he did even more than that. He, he said, okay, um, I'm going to give you some mountaintop experiences. I'm going to give you some of these just very dramatic uh, events, as you described it, son, where, where my power is so on display that that you know um, you're never going to forget this one. You know you're you're never going to uh, um, you know uh, forget what I did in that situation to uh, to deliver my people and, and, and to show my my strength. So, um, but 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 at the same time, son, the Christian life today is not lived on the mountaintop. It is lived in the valley. And, and, and this is where some of those churches that are very emotional um, in, their, in their approach, um, what do they have to be careful of? Um, getting people all worked up into a frenzy. It's one thing if somebody's becoming emotional under the power of the Holy Spirit and, and they're expressing that maybe in a worship service or, or in some other way. Um, I mean, that, you know, in many, many times can obviously be, um, uh, you know, something that, that, that pleases the Lord and is a blessing. But, but you can almost become addicted to um, spiritual experiences. You know, it, it's kind of like I remember years ago, you know, going to the uh, Promise Keepers men's conferences. I mean, I remember, I think it was 1994, we went to Boulder, Colorado, and I, I remember that, that stadium of, of thousands and thousands of, of men singing uh, Amazing Grace. And, you know, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. And, but it, was, but it, was, it wasn't just the words and, and the idea that, of, of where we would be one day, but there was a, there was a real um, tangible presence of the Holy Spirit there. I mean, in fact, I, you know, I, I would tell people for years that, you know, that's probably the closest thing to heaven I'd ever experienced on earth because it, and it, it was, it went so much deeper than just some emotion. There, there was this, just this uh, power of the Holy Spirit that you cannot adequately explain or describe, but you can experience, you can experience his power. And, and that's what we experienced there. Now, the, the, the temptation may have been song for, let's say, Christians or even pastors to go back from that event and say, this is what we're going to have, you know, every Sunday in our church. And so if we just follow these different steps and, you know, well, uh, the, the, the reality of it is, um, I think most churches don't necessarily experience that kind of power um, every Sunday. That was more of a mountaintop experience. And if everything was the mountaintop, then what would you, you, you would, you, you wouldn't really have a mountaintop, you know? Um, so um, the, the Christian life tends to be lived in the Valley. Now, what I mean by that is I don't mean in a state of like depression or discouragement. No, what, what I'm saying is there are pressures upon us in the Valley that can, we, we continually battle by God's help. And um, many of them are not pleasant. You know, it's not easy to live the Christian life. Um, It's easy to be saved, redeemed, justified, born again, and forgiven, but it's not easy to live the Christian life. Um, And one reason is because of, of the pressures. And yet, having said that, you know, the Apostle Paul made this incredible statement. He said, in all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. So, so the amazing thing is, for many Christians around the world, son, for 2,000 years, when things are the toughest, 
um, the power of the Holy Spirit is the greatest. Their joy is the greatest, even in the midst of persecution or suffering. Um, and uh, whether it be like with the underground church Christians today who are worshiping in secret. Um, and uh, I saw a video here not that long ago that was um, taken of some uh, Christians. And I, they, they were talking about how these Christians would, you know, they, they get up like every morning at four in the morning to pray and worship the Lord. And, and the joy on their faces is just, you know, undescribable. But, but you say, well, why don't we have maybe that here in America? Well, you know, um, we're not under the kind of pressure they're under. Um, you know, the, the, the church and, and folks are, are, are generally probably not seeking the Lord to the degree that they are over there. Um, uh, you know, we need the power to seek the Lord. We need the power to, um, to really experience that kind of, of, of fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's power. And, and I don't know, son, it just seems like sometimes without persecution, without suffering, without pressure, um, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit maybe is not as great sometimes in, in those settings. Now, you've, you've still got the Word, which is powerful. You've got the Spirit working in hearts. Um, but I mean, even in whether it be a place uh, that's being oppressed or not, wherever you wherever you you see God working, you don't always have revival. That's why it's called revival. I mean, revivals like mountaintop experiences tend to be rare events, but they are, I think, pointing to that that point you were getting at here a few moments ago, and that is, um, you know, doesn't Pentecost point to something eternal? Doesn't it point to something that's coming? Doesn't it point to the power uh, that, that God is going to have for us in heaven? And I would say absolutely yes, it does. Um, but, but don't be discouraged, uh, Christian, if you uh, are going through a maybe a, a dry season or a, a season of discouragement or a season of 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 just um maybe not doing what what you feel you need to be doing um you know press on uh press on with the lord press on um in his power um and and don't necessarily think that your life on earth is going to be um is going to be like what it's going to be like in heaven because it, it won't be. I mean, it, it can be very good. It can be very full of power, but it won't be um, free from um, our sinful flesh, from the things of the world, and from the devil. And those three things combined, um, this is why it's hard to, to live as a Christian. This is why I'm so many. You know, I, uh, it's just interesting. I mean, you got people who will criticize Christians, and and I understand in a way why they do it because they've never walked on that road. If they had, they would not be critical because they would see how tough it is. It's easy to be critical of Christians. Now, granted, sometimes Christians or professing Christians give give reasons, legitimate reasons, to be criticized. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who criticize the Christian faith because they don't like the Bible, or they don't like you know going to church, or they don't like this, or they don't like that. Um, well, if you've never tried it, it's easy to be critical of those who are on that, that narrow road. But once you've tried it, you realize, Hey, this is not easy stuff. Um, my flesh is strong. Uh, the devil's power is strong. The world has a strong pull. Um, and yes, God's power is greater, but, but if we don't, if we don't remain under that, that, that waterfall of, of God's power, um, we, we can start to drift, uh, some and, and drift in the wrong direction. And, and, uh, so again, it's, uh, it's easy to be critical of, of Christians until you've walked that road. Um, but, uh, and, and then, you know, for those uh, today, we've got, you know, some well-known examples of people who've like left the faith. Okay. Well, you say, well, what about them? 
Well, um, you know, you, you're going to, Jesus had that. He had, he had people that, that, that decided to no longer follow him because it's too tough. Um, and I think some of those people who walk away today, um, they're tired of having people who had been their friends, um, reject them. They're tired of having the world reject them. They're, they're, they're tired of not being popular in the eyes of the world. They're tired of standing for, for truth in a culture that believes everybody can have their own truth. So I get it. Um, I mean, we have a tendency to want to be popular with the world. Um, but, um, I tell you, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, it, it's going to matter what, what Jesus says about us, not, not what the world says about us. And so we need to keep our eyes on him and in the power of the Holy spirit, just, just keep pressing on as Paul reminds us in, in the word. You know, Dan, you mentioned a revival, the mountaintop experience, and there's been several revivals. When I was kind of looking up some stuff on Pentecost, the Azusa Street Revival here in Los Angeles, which took place from 1906 to 1915, popped up, and apparently it's a big charismatic, you know, revival that some say is the birthplace of modern-day Pentecostalism. Um, but then you also think of like the Toronto Blessing and there was a revival in Lakeland, Florida. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, yes. and, and they get into all this like, you know, you got the miracle healings and you've got the, you know, the things like uncontrollable holy laughter and stuff. And mm -hmm. and I know um, John Wesley, I think, had an experience one time as so was, so it goes about, you know, holy laughter. He had an uncontrollable laughter. And so he said, oh, it must have been from Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit coming into me. And mm -hmm. you get all these things. And. There was one, I thought it was holy laughter, but I, I remember doing research on one of these kind of crazes. Mm -hmm. And basically it comes down to this. Oh, in fact, uh, I believe it was the Welsh revival too, um, which was in yeah. 1904. Yeah. So basically a pastor, so I know it was the Welsh revival. I know there was something else too, but pastors, they kind of get complacent or they see their church getting complacent. So they go and they seek out other things. And so the Welsh mm -hmm. revival was the guy goes over to Wales and he sees this kind of charismatic church with all this stuff going on. And he thinks, Hey, this is right. exciting. So I'm going right. to bring this back to my church. And yeah, so then you start exactly. implementing things. Okay. Yeah. That, because you yeah. saw it over there. Now to me, that's not revival. That's just copying something that's going on over that's there. That's right. And that's if, right. that's if we're right. going to have true revival, if we're going to have true things, then it has to be God led and spirit led and not something right. that we see someplace. I see that all the time in the modern church, people will look and see something yeah. and they're like, Oh, I yeah. want to bring that. I went to a vineyard church in Denver one time and they were, mm -hmm. you know, and the pastor was, was trying to get to be a very charismatic church. And so he mm -hmm. was always trying to, you know, Hey, can I get an amen? Hey, can I get this? Hey, can I get this? And, oh, yeah. and then yeah, eventually, yeah. you know, the, the gal behind me is, is having a, a, a spastic attack. And I look to my friend, I'm like, do we need to call nine one one? And, and yeah. he's like, no, she's slain in the spirit. I'm like, well, that doesn't look like slain in the spirit to me, but whatever. Um, not right, judging. Right. I just, I just, I mean, it was an uncontrollable thing. And I, and I think that the whole idea was brought on by the pastors encouraging people to kind of crazy, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, that's right. That's and so, right. And you see that with a lot of these things, you know, Toronto blessing. I don't want to take away if there's good that came out of it because I'm still kind of, right. you know, the verdict is still out on some of these things. But you start mm -hmm. to delve into these things, you know, these mountaintop experiences, these revivals, these holy laughters and things that people bring into the mm -hmm. church, you know, even the speaking of tongues for some people. And it's like, mm -hmm. sure. I guess it comes down to, you know, if you really are concerned about what is going on, one yeah. simple thing is to check the Bible. And if it's, if it matches yeah. with what the Bible says, you're probably good to go. Second, what's yeah. the origin of it? Is the origin biblical right. or you no? Know, okay, so let's say you go to Wales and you see something very biblically happening there. 
And then maybe right. you bring that back. But if you're just trying to bring back something to your church to make it more exciting and you saw it revival somewhere and you don't know the origins of it and it doesn't really back by the Bible, then all you're yeah. doing is just bringing something worldly into the church. And I think we've gotten to that place here in America where we bring a lot of worldly things into the church that aren't even biblically based and are just trying to get people to have a, an experience to keep them coming back for yeah. more and more and more. Well, you know, you know, son, yes, it, it would be, I suppose, like this. Um, Think about two different uh, scenarios. Think about one scenario whereby you have a husband and a wife, and let's just say they have four children, and they're providing good food, uh, good protection, um, good training. Um, they're providing all sorts of good things for uh, you know for their children. Um, and they're raising them and, and every now and then, you know, maybe in the summer they go on a vacation, you know, maybe they go to the beach or maybe they go to, uh, worlds of fun and they go to an amusement park, you know, once a year, whatever. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's something that maybe the kids look forward to the family, parents look forward to it. Um, it's a great time. Um, and, but, but, but it doesn't, I mean, it adds to, it adds to the family experience definitely, but it's built upon the rest of the year. You know, let's say you do that, you know, one week or even two weeks a year. Okay. That's, that can only be built upon everything else that goes on the rest of the year. Now compare that scenario, son. So let's say you have a, 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 two, a couple, let's say, and they are operating a, uh, a home for um, runaways in the city and, and, and especially runaway children, let's say. And, and what they're offering these runaway children is every day, you know, any of the runaways that come to their place, um, they get to go to whatever the amusement park is in the area. And they do that every day. And so the kids come to, you know, just to expect it. Well, if, if we go here, we're going to have fun, you know, now is that going to help the kids mature? No. Is it going to help them be emotional? Yes. Is it going to help them grow? No. Is it going to draw them in? Yes. Will it likely generate even more than the four kids in the uh, other family, uh, you know, in the other neighborhood where the parents have the four? Um, yeah, you'll probably have more. I mean, if you have a hundred runaway kids in that community and you may have 80 of them there, you know, and so you've got a lot of people there um, enjoying the, the bells and whistles. Um, but but that's it, it, it's a it's not it's not an authentic experience that can last. Um, and, and churches that that have fallen into the trap of, of like every week you have to have something new, you have to entertain or you have to um, get everybody jazzed up or you have to have this this real dynamic speaker who can work on people's emotions. I mean, um, you know. You you can you can do a lot of things to get people um, you know really worked up into a lather uh, and and you mentioned some of these different revivals where um, I mean there were some counterfeit experiences going on I mean even speaking in tongues I mean you know there are there are um, there are tribes in different uh, countries where um, all they've known is is a religion uh, of their. Uh, of their fathers and uh, they've never had the gospel preached to them. And yet, you know, some of them in their, in their native religion, they, they speak in tongues. That doesn't mean it's coming from the Holy spirit. You know, um, Satan can counterfeit um, so many of, of, of God's gifts and he does seek to counterfeit them. Um, and, and so the other thing is demons operate 
many times in what we might call the high places. And, and so the high places uh, spiritually uh, are, are those places on where people are interacting um, at a, at a deep, at a deep level with God. And, and um, it, it's a very high spiritual place. Um, you t- take, for example, revival where, where this is like a, a mountaintop experience that's um, moving through a community or moving through a nation. And, um, and, and, and yet, in the midst of that, Satan is trying to uh, stir up fanaticism. Uh, and it's, this has happened. I mean, you've seen revivals that have been going on real good, son, until people start to get into fanaticism and they grieve the Holy Spirit and, and they start doing crazy stuff because the devil offers a counterfeit. And and um, so so I say all that to say this. Um, revivals um, are wonderful, and heaven will be a perpetual revival, okay? Um but because revivals aren't going on all the time and they can only be done by the Holy Spirit and they cannot be manufactured by man's methods or coming home from, from an event and repeating certain things, you're totally dependent on the Holy Spirit for revival. What the Holy Spirit has given us those songs, okay, to, to keep man not only revived, but keep him growing in the word, he's given us scripture. And those churches that put an equal emphasis on the power of the word of God, teaching scripture, you know, going through the Bible, you know, um, going through, uh, you know, sections of the Bible, verse by verse, um, going through the whole Bible. Um, it's those churches that help Christians mature the most. Um, now, um, you might walk into one of those churches if you're used to one of these real wild experience type churches and think, well, man, that was kind of boring. Well, so would the runaways if, if, if rather than going to the home where they're going to go to the amusement park that day, if they walked in on a day when uh, the, the family of four kids was just kind of doing the daily thing and, you know, they would say, well, this is boring. You know, we don't like this. So, so Satan's always about trying to entertain people at the expense of their soul. And, and so that in itself is a counterfeit, um, you know, to fall for the lie that if I just, um, you know, can, can be entertained by, by a speaker or by some singers or whatever, you know, it's not about us being entertained. It's about us worshiping the Lord, growing in, in the word of God, growing in our faith. And, and so that's where that, those are the churches that I see son. And I've, I've been watching this now for, you know, um, well, I mean, all, you know, I've been a pastor for 31 years and, you know, well before that. But, I mean, I've been watching this uh, for, for many years. And, and it's those churches that just stick to um, preaching God's word and not going off on, on, you know, all sorts of tangents and not getting people all worked up into a lather. No, no. Some churches have much more expressive, vibrant worship. I mean, hands are raised. I mean, all of that can, can happen in a very reverent, wholesome, helpful way. Okay. So I'm not saying it has to, you know, you, you, you never can have, you know, very expressive worship. I mean, there are churches where, where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are operating, you know, maybe in the service even, but, but those are rare. I mean, for that to be done well, um, those are rare, at least here in America, son, because, um, you know, we don't have the level of persecution. We don't have the level of, um, I wouldn't say we don't have the level of spiritual maturity that, uh, you know, I, I think probably Christians in um, maybe South Korea, maybe China. Um, in fact, I was just um, 
messaging. A guy had reached out to me uh, from Nepal last night that we were messaging and, and um, he, he had watched something I'd done and we were talking and he's a Christian leader there. And, and so he's, you know, uh, he and his wife are going to start praying for our ministry. I'm going to be praying, you know, for him. And, and, but and he sent me some, some photos and these are just, you know, humble, poor people there in a, in a village there. Um, uh, and, uh, but he said how the Lord has now given them, um, you know, he started out there. God, God led him to, to start a, a ministry there with, uh, with the gospel. And they've got like 30 people now. And, and, and many of these were women. Um, but there were others there as well. And, and you just saw them, you know, but it's a very humble setting. I mean, um, now, uh, what gifts of the spirit are being exercised there? Well, you know, we'd have to ask him to see, but I, I I'm sure the, the word a little bit, I know, I don't know much about him yet, but, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, it seems like they're, they're proclaiming the word, they're proclaiming the gospel. Um, it may not be a lot of flash, but, um, that's only in America, you know, not, I shouldn't say only in America. There are other places where it's going on, but, but it's especially in America. And, and I mean, it, it's not seen any more than in the, uh, the prosperity message of, of the prosperity preachers, but there are other examples of it too. And you mentioned a couple of those, you know, like revival, they've been called revivals in, in a couple of places where, um, you know, many Christians would argue that, um, that that's not the right word. I, I know, I mean, we've all used those words for it, but they would argue that that's not really what was going on there because in genuine revivals, um, you, you tend to see, you know, some other things happening maybe than, than what was happening there. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, all of this is, is about the spiritual growth that's needed within believers and, and not just what experiences uh, we can have, um, however great those may be. You know, and the final point for uh, Pentecost I like to bring up, too, is the fact that, you know, Jesus, there always seems to be like three, right? There's uh, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There was what, Peter, James, and John. You know, there seems to be this running theme of three. And when you take a look at Pentecost, it's kind of like the third of Good Friday when Jesus died mm-hmm. on the cross, Easter mm-hmm. when he rose again, and then Pentecost, which is the start of the church. And so, you know, yeah. when you, when you kind of tie it all together, you know, it really does have a flow to it that, you know, oh, it's no surprise that there's a, a three there because you've yeah. got to have all three. If you didn't have the crucifixion, then we wouldn't have the resurrection. If we didn't have the resurrection, we wouldn't have salvation. Without the church, you know, we're not doing the Great Commission. Now, I'm, when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the body of believers, not the buildings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so, and then that day, you know, 3,000 people became saved. And so, you know, when you put it all together, you know, it makes a lot of sense that, again, there would be a three in a row there. Yeah. And I just think that's kind of, uh, you know, something that's pretty significant. Well, and, and my goodness, son, I mean, you know, God is uh, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and so, yes, it, it's not a surprise many times that, uh, that we see some things in three, you know, uh, in first Thessalonians five twenty three, um, we're told, may God himself, the God of peace sanctify you through and through may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's three again, you know, we, we, we are created in God's image as three in one body, soul, and spirit. Uh, he is father, son, and spirit. And, um, so, you know, these, these are things that help to ground us in the faith 
And um, this is where Christianity is lived out, you know, day to day. And whenever God does give us a mountaintop experience or kind of a, a mini Pentecost of our own or a revival or a, maybe a promise keepers conference or something. And like you said, uh, very wisely, Son, I mean, the temptation then is to want to bring that back. We're going to bring that back to our church and, and get people all, uh, you know, jazzed up about it. But the problem is, Son, you can either feed, you know, as a, as a pastor, let's say, you can either feed your people on, on emotion or you can feed your people the word, you know, and they're really God's people, you know, you, you can feed God's people the word or you can feed them on emotion. Um, you could operate a, uh, a home for runaways where you go to the amusement park every day, or uh, if the Lord blesses you with your own children, you can be a parent who, who feeds and cares for and provides your children day in, day out, so that they grow in maturity and in wisdom and, and in God's grace. So um, life cannot be lived in the amusement park or, or on the beach, you know. Um, um, that's why a vacation is called a vacation or a, a special trip is called just that, or even a, even a wonderful conference like Promise Keepers. I mean, um, those, those experiences will not always be repeated Sunday after Sunday. And I'll tell you, son, that's another thing why, you know, people get tired of, of just something as basic as just gathering with other Christians on a weekly basis, because uh, it's not exciting enough uh, to, to, to a lot of people. But here's the thing, son. Um, you know, having a great meal or, you know, or just even having, you know, good food in, in your home, um, it may not always be exciting to you, but you sure need it. Um, and, you know, we, 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 we live in a, in a nation where, um, you know, people are so used to being constantly entertained um, that those churches that have fallen into that trap of thinking they're going to just, you know, try to entertain people, um, uh, you know, I mean, I, and I remember son, when, when this kind of started, you know, maybe a couple of decades ago, or maybe even longer than that, even three decades ago, maybe, but when, when they started doing, you know, some of these churches, like, like on the late night shows, they started to have their top 10 in their service. And, and, and it just, it just got, it just got crazier and crazier, you know, with, you know, what can we do to copy the world? Because, you know, look at all the people that watch the, uh, the late night, uh, comedian. Uh, we, we need to do that to get people in the church. And I'll tell you what, son, if that's what you're using to draw people in, then that's what they're going to expect to keep getting. But if you rely on the Holy spirit and you, and you rely on the gospel and you share the gospel and you feed people the word, um, then you're going to be like that, that family with, with four kids. And, and it may not seem as sexy or as exciting or as thrilling as that, that home around the block there that has um, the 80 uh, homeless kids, or runaways rather, yeah, homeless that are going to the amusement park. But I'll tell you what, if you look at the health of the kids involved and what they're getting and, and what's being built into them for their future, um, there, there's no question. So um, the churches today that are, are getting away from just the simple preaching and teaching of God's word are not doing a service to those people that attend because, um, you know, what did, what, did, what did Jesus say? Um, you know, was was a demonstration of, of love for him. Uh, he said, feed my sheep you know, feed my sheep. And, and that's what the Lord wants us to do. And, um, he helps us to do it. And, and this, this comes full circle, son, to, you know, really where we started today. And that's the day of Pentecost. Um, we need the power of the Holy spirit to be able to have the strength and the wisdom to feed God's sheep and beginning in our own homes, you know, to feed our children, the word of God, raise them to know and love Jesus and serve him. And, um, and that's what God helps us to do by his power. Dan Dozell. 
pastor at Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska, author of many articles on a lot of things from the Bible, topics that you can find at the uh, Christian Post. Um, how can they get a hold of you if people want to uh, maybe reach out like the, the guy in Nepal did? How can they find you? Well, I'll tell you, son, uh, I would invite anyone to, to email me at dandelzell at cox.net, uh, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L at, at cox, C-O-X dot net, and I'd be happy to hear from anyone and, and to uh, be able to uh, address any issues they might like to talk about. You can find me on Instagram at Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S, DM me. You can also click the link in the bio, and it brings up several options, of which you can click the Sanctified Reason option, and you can listen to uh, all of our shows from the past as well. Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate it. We appreciate you sharing thoughts on Pentecost and and all of the conversations that we have are always good ones, and we look forward to uh, next time we get together. Well, I sure do as well. Thanks so much, Son, for having me along again today, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it again here soon. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. Until next time, God bless.